Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about Papa Smurf, Spice Girls, and we have part one of our interview with Oliver Smith from CityWire. Good afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you are listening to this in the world. Welcome, my friends, to another edition of The Kindness Project. I'm joined by a girl, not the usual girl, who has recently started calling me a bald-headed smurf. It's Sophie Dames. How are you, Sophie? Good. And I am joined by Potato Muncher number two. Potato Muncher number two? Why am I called Potato Muncher number two? How many potatoes did you eat? Well, look, I've been... I, I, I think that over the, um, over the past um, few days, I have been training hard. I've been running, I've been working out, I've got my marathon coming up, I'm doing the London Marathon Dad, in... I saw you eat like 12 dozen potatoes. I'm giving you the reason why, darling, right? So I've been doing loads of training, and it's what you call carb loading. So when you do a lot of training, you've got to do a bit of carb loading as well. Potato loading. <laughs> potato loading. Potato science. Um, how are you? What have you been up to recently? You've been just come back from camping, haven't you? Yeah. How was it? Good. Okay. The idea of a podcast, Sophie, is that you talk. So tell us. No. Um, when we were coming back, what? Uh, mine and mum's bright bed had a hole in it. Right. And then Anne... The, the the lady we've camped with and her daughter, um, which is my friend Kelsey, and threw the wrong blow-up bed in the bin. Oh, no. So now we have to get two new blow-up Oh, no, the blow-up bed disaster. Two new blow-up beds we've got. Um, and actually, the question of the podcast this week is inspired by um, a certain faux pas that Sophie made. Now, um, would you like to explain it, Sophie, or should I? I will. Go on, we were playing um, <laughs> Pointless. Point. So, and I so, downloaded an app. Um, <laughs> we've done nicknames for the Spice Girls, and then after, Mum said, what's the most inappropriate name for a Spice Girl? I said Sneaky Spice. Sneaky Spice? Now, I think Sneaky Spice is a uh, Spice Girl that we we could actually introduce into the Spice Girls if the Spice Girls ever make a reunion. Um, and I'd like to introduce our producer, uh, who in my Spice Girls tribute band would be called Sneaky Spice. It's Russell Dunn. <laughs> How are you doing, Russ? How are you doing, Sneaky Spice? No, not Sneaky, Toothless. Toothless Spice. Uh, what would you be, Sophie, the Spice Girls tribute band? Farty Spice. Farty Spice. <laughs> now, that's what happens when you try and host a podcast of a nine-year-old, ladies <laughs> and gents. You get the most toilet humour. What would I be? Smurfy Spice. No. What would I be? Potato-eating Spice. <laughs> what are you going Shiny for, Russ? Shiny Head Spice. Shiny Head Spice. We're going yep. for that. Okay. Black Head Spice. <laughs> Sorry, Russ? Slackhead Spice. Slackhead Spice. Slackhead <laughs> Spice. All right. Well, we've had enough of your answers now. Russ, you can mute yourself again. Um, uh, what we'd like to do, listeners, uh, is slap it.
bits and bytes. I can't believe it. What, I, what, we, what we'd like to do, listeners, is uh, get your answers. So the question of the podcast this week is, who is your favourite Spice Girl? But we only want wrong answers. We only want the answers um, that aren't actually a Spice Girl at all. Now, where can now, Sophie D, because this is your first time actually being a like a visual host of the podcast, are you excited? No. 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 Thousands of people listen to us. She's she's not bothered, Russ. She's like sort of like well, oh, whatever. You just can't get the staff, can you? I know. I know. I paid my life. Um uh, what was I gonna say? Um where can do you know where people can get in touch with us on? Twitter. Twitter. What what are we on Twitter? Can't lose project. No, we're at Hollow. Can't you rush? You cannot get the staff. It's like it's like I've got an amazing producer now. Are you listening? Right. Um, Google. Uh, you can Google us at Facebook. Right. <laughs> Are you just saying words that you've learned on the internet? Go go Facebook. Right. Um, TikTok. <laughs> we're not on TikTok. You need to have our own Whoa, TikTok yeah. on this project. Um, you need to download TikTok and make a kind of project TikTok. Russ, you on that? We're not bothering with that. Trouble with TikTok, you only get a minute. Yeah, we no, can't. No, get... you can get three minutes now. Oh, you can get three minutes now. We don't get anything done in three, three minutes. Three minutes, Russ, minutes is not enough time. There's 15 seconds, 60 seconds, and three minutes. Right, okay. Well, I'm, well... I'm, glad that, I'm glad you said that because I might look at that then for the Sabella work. So. Okay, fair enough. We might use it for the business, but um, right. So here's how you can get in touch with us. I'll take the reins on this. So as it's one of your first on signs. Twitter. On Twitter, or you can you can mention the platforms, and I'll mention the uh, handles. Go on. On, on Twitter. On Twitter, we're at Holla Kindness. H O L A K I N D E double S. With bubbles, is that a platform? <laughs> yeah. Well, what other platforms do we need? Facebook, if you just search for the Kindness Project in the Facebook search thing, we pop up. Yeah. Google. Google, same. Uh, you can either Google us, uh, uh, just put the Kindness Project in and we should pop up, or visit www.thekindnessproject.co.uk and you can get in touch with us on um, and there's loads of stuff on the website there's past um, all of our past um, episodes um, loads of stuff um, that you can download and listen to plus a merch page if you fancy buying some Kindness Project merch there's loads of stuff on there that you can have a look at um, and um, uh, that's it oh no email email no, is no. Spotify. Spotify. How do you find us on Spotify, Russ? The Kindness Project Podcast. <laughs> that was enthusiastic, <laughs> wasn't it? Um, the Kindness Very. Project Podcast. Very. Um, uh, and you can uh, email us at holla, H-O-L-A, at the kindness, uh, holla, at the kindness project.co.uk. Um, shall we crack on with the show? So this week we've got a uh, amazing uh, guest coming on the podcast. Uh, uh, me. 
Thank you very much for going to be amazing. You are amazing. Thanks, Soph. But um, we've also got a special uh, guest that we've interviewed a few weeks ago. No, you are special, Soph. <laughs> you are special. But you are you are a podcast host, not a guest that we've interviewed on the podcast. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you have what? Interviewed me. Have I interviewed you for the podcast? Yeah. When? <laughs> no, she's got all silly now, so we'll just crack on with introducing uh, Mr. Ollie Smith. Now, Ollie, I've known for a few years, bit of a legend, um, done loads of work campaigning. Oh, Charlotte, who's not recording the podcast, is meant to be doing some actual college work, seems to be listening to it, is giving Ollie a big cheer. Do you want to just pop in for two seconds and just say something, Charlotte, or not? Ollie's great. Ollie's great. Yeah. That is that is as much of, of, of what you need to know. Charlotte thinks that Ollie's great. I think that Ollie's great. Um, the best thing we can do is um, just listen to what Ollie's got to say, and it's particularly useful in the areas of mental health, you know, being vulnerable, being open, um, and talking about that. Now, Russ, I know that uh, you, you were producing the... Um, the uh, interview when we did it, and you found it particularly useful, didn't you? I did. I did. It was particularly, uh, it was particularly poignant for me. So, yeah. Good. So we're really pleased to share um, Ollie's perspective. Uh, let's have a listen to what Ollie's got to say. Um, hi, Ollie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm sweltering in this summer heat, but I'm it's yeah, hot, I'm managing. Yeah, and you, you were saying before we were recording that um, you were hot up a tree last week, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So in its, in its great wisdom, uh, CityWire has managed to keep its so-called country walks going, which is a day out every year for staff in different teams to get to know each other. And with the pandemic, it's been difficult, obviously, being in the same room with each other. So um, we managed to um, to go on a trip to go up in Battersea, which ticked all the pandemic boxes of being outside, being socially distanced. And having some fun so um yeah it was a it was a fantastic experience and lots of people in the team um i think found it challenging but it was really satisfying to see them sort of conquer fear of heights and you know, yeah I mean, I, and... it's it's funny i am i'm being sort of uh lobbied at the minute to get involved in a mud run um so normally <laughs> normally normally my runs are just sort of straight lines with trainers without any obstacles and actually Ollie, i quite like it that way but um yeah there's a couple of people who uh who, who, who like the idea of a mud run have you done one I've never done a mud run. I considered doing something similar for charity last year. And I, as with most of my ideas, I realised soon enough that it was far too ambitious. But I haven't written it off. Um, but, yeah, perhaps, well, I, perhaps not one for the sweltering heat. Well, the other, the other idea I've got, and I'm, I'm lobbying our local hospice to see whether they want to do it. And I, well, I'm going to pitch the idea. Before, we will talk about some questions, but I want to pitch the idea for you first, right? So... I'm going to call it Playground Games. And the idea is, is that adults get to play kids' games for a day. And, Love it. You know, pay a tenner and raise some money for charity. So we're going to have we're going to have runouts, clearly. We're going to have British Bulldog. Okay. We're going to have a bit of dodgeball, probably. And I think, I think we could get enough people involved to raise a, a decent amount for charity and have a have a real good fun uh, time along the way would you reckon 
I think that's a superb idea. And if I could personally throw in my own favourite event from Please that do. era of my life, the beanbag race is absolutely a must. So are we talking about on the head? Uh, no, so this is a it's a high intensity cardio uh, event where you have to collect beanbags in a straight line using a sack, uh, and then That's go back to the start and then go all the way up the field to finish. And it was um, th- that was the point at which uh, my athleticism dropped off. But before it happened, so, it was so. absolutely my killer. I, I, I think I think we could include the beanbag race and clearly a sack race, you know, because they're they're always good fun. Um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll throw a few in there. Um, but yeah. we're not here to talk about kids' games. We're here to talk about the amazing work that you're doing, highlighting the issue of mental health, particularly in uh, in our world, Ridges Financial Services. But before we talk about that in a bit more depth, tell us a bit about you. Um, well, that's great. Um, so for those that don't know me, I'm Ollie. I'm a journalist at CityWire, which is a financial publisher based in London. Um, and I edit one of the magazines for a UK audience of financial advisors and business owners like yourself, Chris. Um, and I've been doing that for the last couple of years, but I've been at the company for, for over six years now. So I've put in a fair amount of time um, on the team and seen, seen some real sort of changes on, on how we do things at the company. I... I I um I got involved talking about mental health from an interview we did with um, the CEO of Quilter, Paul Feeney, in the end of 2018. And um, I suppose, you know, like my career in journalism, that interview was a happy accident. And, um, you know, it just so transpired, transpired that the right things came together at the right time. And I, I think if I would say one thing about, you know, who I am, it tends to be the case, <laughs> tends to be the case that, you know, that, that happens. Sometimes it goes wrong and you just have to learn the lesson. But I think there have been a lot of happy accidents in my life. Um, you know, you know what? You're, you're not alone in that, I don't think. I mean, no. I, I look at my life with gratitude that I sort of fell into stuff and sort of by luck and hopefully by a little bit of good judgment made it work. Um, yeah. But you just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like what John Lennon said, you know, it's life is what happens when you're making other plans. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and no plan survives sort of first contact with the enemy. So, yeah. um, you know, th- that's definitely that's definitely what life is like as a journalist. You know, you spend your whole time planning and then readapting the plan to, to what's going on in the news. So, so, so a couple, couple of things, I suppose. Number one is uh, you talk about journalism as being a bit of a happy accident. What you know? What, how did you get into it? What what was that path? This is quite an amusing story. I mean, I laugh. I laugh at it. I mean, I I almost ended up in Brazil, Chris. Um, okay. So I I I did a degree in history, and and the person I was at that point in 2014 is very very reasonably different from uh, who I am now. You know, I I didn't really know much about journalism at all, but I did know that I wanted to write. So for me, yeah. you know, graduation and approaching that sort of incredible uncertainty that 20 21 year olds do i i didn't have a plan and had not been sensible enough to come up with one and i thought the only thing i could really do is just sort of submit myself to the winds of writing and i fired off you know what felt like millions of job applications for various writing jobs there was one that was um you know in the corporate hospitality publishing sector right. it would have involved a little bit of travel there was one about renewable energies which is how i nearly ended up in brazil okay. um quite glad that that didn't happen in the end there was you know there were your mainstream options you know like the graduate schemes at the national newspapers but it was citywide that i think saw something in me 
and um, thankfully, I mean, it's a misnomer to me to this day why they hired me, um, but um, thankfully they, they offered it's me a job no as well. a reporter. Yeah. So that's how that happened. And, and you know, when I started that job, I'd, I didn't really understand the nuts and bolts of being a journalist. But I would say that, you know, in the absence in this country of a really, really decent and widespread apprenticeship schemes, you know, that was my apprenticeship in yeah, journalism. Really. In. Yeah. yeah. And then and then you talked about that happy accident of, you know, sitting down with a guy from Gibraltar, having that conversation with him around mental health. And then so the, that was that wasn't an intended conversation at the time, right? Well, no, it's really funny. I mean, I, I before that interview, I mean, this was a big interview. I was 24, I think, and um, I'd not interviewed the, C, the CEO of Foot, FTSE listed company before. So this was a big event, and it had taken a lot of sort of back and forth. I hope Paul won't mind me saying that. It had taken a lot of back and forth between his team and our team to kind of arrange the details and, you know, to, to set the scene and make sure that everyone felt comfortable with the kind of rules of engagement. So, um, you know, that had taken some months, I would say probably four or five months. And the day came and I was gearing up for an interview about, you know, platform flows and, you know, their yeah. massive expenditure. The technical on, stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And some politics, sure. You know, some, some, some stuff around, you know, savings policy. Absolutely. But it was going to be about the business and, um, I, I don't know to this day really what motivated Paul to sort of talk cathartically about it, but we were discussing the issue of culture. And uh, I think Lawrence, my chairman, who was in the interview at the time, mentioned this issue of, you know, fusing businesses together. And, um, you know, as a consolidator, that's something that, that's quilted, that Quilt has done. And um, that led Paul to talk about, you know, the importance of culture and leadership and, um, and how important it is as a leader to be able to put your own skin in the game and say honestly and openly that you've struggled at times and that yeah. you know that that life isn't always perfect and it so happens i mean this wasn't just sort of a ceo saying you know oh i had a bad week once you know paul's had some really really significant psychological challenges in his life from stuff that's yeah. happened in his past and again i'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that he's been on the record about it on the bbc which i think is yeah. quite incredible um for for a man of his position and stature so um it, it was a very significant watershed moment i think both for the company in terms of how we cover ceos and what ceos are like as people but also you know in financial services i, I think you know it's it was no small thing for him to do and i remain grateful to him for it. i think i think the other thing is as well is the more open we can be about all of our mental health challenges um the better we're going to open that dialogue up and and yeah just make it more human to talk about that sort of stuff because if our leaders um uh in in life and business and everything don't talk about those issues that stigma remains doesn't it you know that's the challenge you've got the challenge you've got is people assume that it's always going to be um something that should be hidden and in reality we don't we don't help ourselves when we hide it right Mm, I don't think that's right. I would say, um, you know, there are plenty of things that that mean that I'm an incredibly privileged person, and and you know, that give me a lot of advantage, perhaps over other people in society. Yeah. And you know, certainly in the last sort of two three years, that's been at the forefront of the news cycle. Has been a great cause for reflection. And you know, I think one thing that's very obvious to me is that I have never ever 
once felt disadvantaged by talking about this stuff in public yeah. never once i've ne to my knowledge i've never you know i've never been refused entry to a building and never been you know looked down upon for saying publicly that i have mental health problems yeah. so you know there there are plenty of ways in which people sadly are um you know discriminated against and and in which their you know their experiences count against them sadly um but one of the things i, I i'm here to say is that on this issue at, le at least on this issue that's not something that's happened to me and and i think the more people speak up about it the more acceptance there is that sort of floods the um the echo chamber do you do you think we've moved forward as a society when we talk about mental health in the last sorry, let's say a couple of decades i would love to be more i would love to be more optimistic about this i mean i think i think we definitely have you know there's no doubt that you know the the days of you know your classic bloke with three kids who works an industrial job and can't cope and drinks himself into oblivion and dies age 59 are over you know as, as far as mainstream culture is concerned there is i mean there's almost sort of the converse pressure now to be open about stuff and i think that's yeah. something we have to handle carefully because sometimes people need a bit of support um so there's no doubt there in my mind that you know we've made a great deal of progress i mean where i would be more cynical and hopefully not too negative for your listeners chris is i feel you know quite strongly that we have to be very very careful now about the balance between individualism within society and prioritizing individual needs over the over the needs of groups of people and i think yeah. with mental health that's a really really big challenge because much of the cultural uh, flow of commentary at the moment is around telling people and you see this on facebook and social media you know that it's okay to accept who you are and to put your needs first and stuff and that's certainly a message that i've received in abundance at various times in my life throughout you know therapeutic interventions and discussions and people with people that matter to me and who love me but i don't think that's the be all and end all of that conversation i don't think you can simply end it there i think as you know as responsible adults and as people with experience of mental health we have to be able to tell people that there needs to be a balance there between, you know, people's individual needs um, and yeah. and the needs of a collective or groups of people, particularly yeah. people who are marginalised. It's 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 really interesting, isn't it? Because you look at some of the societies that are more collective in nature around the world, um, and it uh, I mean, uh, and the one that I always point to, and it's it, it gets a bit um, it gets a bit sort of I, you know sort of the, it's my go-to um, argument. But like Scandinavia, you look at countries like Norway and stuff like that, where actually mm. collectivism isn't in, explicit in the culture, but there's a have you ever heard of the law of jutes? I've not, Chris. I'm excited to hear about this. All oh, right, the law of jutes is a tablet. I think it's Norway. I might it might be Sweden, but I'll, I'll, I'll email you the Wikipedia link. But the law of jute is a effectively a set of unwritten rules that govern some Scandinavian societies, and it's implicit in their culture. Um, and but it, it's implicit in a. Uh, culture but it's explicit on this big stun um and the first rule of the law of jew is you are not important your contribution to the team is so it's very i always assume that mm. um the um uh the nordic um countries 
were individualistic in nature um uh, but actually there's these unwritten rules that are all about um collectivism um and i suppose there is an argument where you know um uh potentially individualism is a detriment to our mental health and being more collective might be a, a better approach but i don't know what do you think I mean, what that says to me, I mean, there's two points there, and the second of which is a little bit more harrowing. But the, the first is about social contract, I think. And, you know, a, a sort of implicit agreement, as you've said, about the way that we treat people in society. And, I, you know, one of my deepest concerns coming back to the individualism is that we haven't got one of those. I think we have a conversation in this country now about mental health, and that's absolutely fantastic. But what there isn't is the actual physical infrastructure to deliver on that promise yeah um and you know my experience would bear that out and i'm sure i'm not the first person to say this but for instance in 2016 you know i was waiting eight months just to speak to yeah. someone who would be able to do cognitive behavioral therapy and that's without even saying without even asking whether that would have been a suitable approach for me in practice i didn't know that at the time yeah. so yeah, yeah. you wait a long time in this country just to find out whether something does or doesn't work and the consequences gotcha. of that i think are, are, are pretty devastating so i think without that social contract without that sort of implicit understanding that you know people know that if they uphold their individual duties that they'll get something in return from the collective i think it becomes very very difficult to be sincere about you know the message that it's important to talk about mental health because people are rightly left feeling well what's the point you know yeah, it doesn't yeah. deliver for me so uh, i mean the weird, the weird thing is ollie i as you know i am a hopeless and natural optimist right and and uh, i try to avoid cynicism where i can i get where you come from in terms of that argument mm. i actually think there's a there's a well-being argument to collectivism because helping other people makes you feel better you know it's, I totally agree. it's just one of those things where so i think i mean i mean maybe there's a bit of a reframing of the debate right instead of instead of looking at i mean I, I've, I've joked on the podcast before that um the people we speak to who are who help other people more may not be the wealthiest but they mm. seem quite happy with their lot you know it's it's that like life satisfaction that helping other people provides and i don't know whether the argument for collectivism should be it could contribute to your well-being i don't know i, now, I think it definitely does i think yeah, it definitely I agree. does and it's why it concerns me for instance that you know we're ditching our aid commitments to other countries yeah, you know yeah. are we a country that that derives that satisfaction from helping other people um yeah yeah i agree, so I agree. yeah i agree um and relatively speaking the financial commitment is tiny compared to, to other things so I, I wouldn't have made that move but uh yeah it's an interesting one so you've tell, told us a little bit about you waiting quite a long time to get support tell mm. to me a bit about some of the mental health challenges you've faced i suppose the headlines are um i suffer from quite severe depression at times i have a more consistent there are ups and downs with the depression and you know peaks and troughs the, con the more consistent thing is the anxiety. I really suffer from anxiety. And on the days where I have, you know, my head out of the, the trough of whatever I'm doing, I really notice it. And I think to myself, why why do I have to be this way? Um, I, I get help for it. 
I speak to a therapist very, very regularly about what's going on in my life. And there's plenty of things, you know, far be it for me to come on a podcast and, you know, say I've conquered all these things. Absolutely haven't. Um, you know, going through some really tough things at the moment, tough decisions um, about life um, to do with, you know, the pandemic and, and what's happened. So that's an ongoing thing. I think in terms of specific events, um, one thing I've talked about, you know, less, but I have mentioned um in the work that I've tried to do on this is is about suicide and I I've had a couple of really severe suicidal crisis crises um in the past 10 years and um it's taken a long time to come up with the answers as to why they happened and I've concluded from them that I'm more prone to thinking in that way um than perhaps other, some other people are um and for me one of the big challenges is managing that so where i have a really really severe um you know few weeks of incredibly uh, negative thoughts and um sort of that sort of despondent inertia um you know i i tend to find recourse to the dark thoughts rather than the optimistic ones <laughs> so that's that's a major journey in my life chris and um you know finding a way through that is 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 a privilege in many ways you know i i'm immensely privileged to be able to afford a therapist and to have conversations with people like you or my colleagues or my friends so you know it's um it, it's something to be optimistic about I so, so i suppose i suppose there's a couple of couple of points in there only that are really interesting to me do you think because because i agree with you you know maintaining a sort of uh, a more positive mental health and working on that is a journey isn't it it's not a one-off i wasn't feeling great and now i'm feeling better because you know our minds don't work like that no um, um so that was the first part of ollie's interview we've got the interview next week um that we'll enjoy um and let's get on with the end of the show now, this, Sophie, is the bit that you get to shine because you have prepared for this. You have practised this. This is your bit. <laughs> this is not a podcast. I forgot. Oh, no. No. <laughs> but the end is never always the end because this just keeps going. Because... <laughs> It is the end of another podcast, but the end is never the end, because the end is the beginning of the end. And we've got to answer last week's question of the podcast this week. Uh, apparently, I've got that wrong. I've got two daughters now what looking at me like I'm... Um, Charlotte, has gone off script. Right, right. You're, right. You're, you said, I've got too much work to do. I'm not getting involved this week. Do your, do your outro, and, and let's make sure we get it right. <laughs> And that entirely new is our question of the podcast. Um, and we need to find it now. Rush, remind me what last week's question of the podcast is while we're here. Last week's question was the job that makes you think rather than you than me. Yes, and we had quite a uh, quite a lot of these. So uh Clive Jelf. Uh, wrote in and said I'd hate to be a podiatrist or a dentist uh, Gurgit Mann said vet um, Fiona Morbergo um, 
jumped in and said, "I wouldn't. I the job that I'd hate the most is as a dyno rod guy, um, the guy who goes down drains. Yeah, don't fancy that one." Steve Dan um, uh, <clears throat> said, "People who work in sewers, he doesn't fancy that." Joshua Cartwright said he wouldn't like to be a train station attendant who, who uh, at the moment has to ask people to put their mask on. Um, and that, at the minute, I think there's a pressure to, particularly with people out in, like, who work in the public service, to do above and beyond what they're normally expected to do. I think we need to give a massive shout out for those people. Um, so now I'm, I'm not sure whether you answered this question. Did you, um, what job would you hate to do? A vet. Why a vet? Because once the vet had to put a glove on and stick her finger up Dexter's bum. Right. She doesn't want to put a finger up somebody's bum. Um, that's why she doesn't want to be a vet or a proctologist. Uh, Mark Allen says he would, wouldn't want to be a, a postman. John Cook's not keen on being a human cannonball. Um, Jade. Do that. <laughs> I'm, 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 oh, I, don't, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> uh, yeah, go on. Jade Foster said farmer. Karina Murray said... Sewage cleaner. Eddie Roth said bouncer. Eve Keith said lorry driver. And Keith uh, Keely Bedding said, I wouldn't want to be a urologist um, doing exams on parts of people's bodies that we've already mentioned. And that is the end of another um, podcast. Thank you, Sophie, for being an amazing guest host. We really appreciate it. I'm not a guest host. Uh, are you a host now? Yeah. No, you need to do at least three in a row to be yeah, a podcast. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, apparently we've got a new host. I am being taken over by my nine-year-old daughter. That's, that's happening right now. Um, she's dragging me out. So before she drags me off the screen, I'm going to say bye! 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 <laughs>